Oh, the good old days. Remember those? No, you don't. You're getting older. You can't remember anything. We actually don't, or at least not very well. We remember what we want. We distort the rest to fit into our good memory narrative. It's how family arguments get started at the holidays. And it's also what makes funerals such an amazing blessing. And uh, we were reminded of that this last week with uh, the celebration of uh, two of our family members on Monday and then on Tuesday. And uh, we were able to tell stories. And that's what's so wonderful about getting together. We tell stories, true, or a bit embellished, it doesn't matter. Uh, We just enjoy each other's company and we try to remember those good things that God has put into our lives. You know, I can imagine that John, the apostle, when he was 90 plus years of age, close to death, that he would sit around the dinner table and tell stories about when it all happened. When he met Jesus and walked with him. And then his tragic death, but his wonderful resurrection, his ascension. I bet he painted a vivid picture of those tongues of fire coming down and lighting on each of them in the upper room. I bet he spoke about Peter's sermon, about 3,000 people coming to know the Lord that day. I bet he spoke about what that early church looked like in the temple but also in homes where they just gathered together and had supper with each other. There's no order. There's no formality, if you would. Just people trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and to understand who he was. I wish John would have written some things down for us, but he didn't. But Luke did. And that's what we want to turn to today. We want to turn to Luke's account of that first church. So I'm going to invite you to turn, if you would please, to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And look with me all the way to 47 this morning. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Let's begin with the 42nd verse, if you would please. Acts 2 and 42. It says they did something, church. What did they do? Yeah, that's an important word. We're going to look at that. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Before I get started into the list, I want us to focus on that very important word, devoted. Uh, The word devoted uh, meant to be, um, to pay particular attention to something. It meant you focused your time and your energy towards something. If I use it in relationships, I would say, for example, that I'm devoted to my wife. I pay particular attention to her, to her needs, her desires, her dreams. She occupies my time over other relationships. Or I might say I'm devoted to studying the Word of God. In other words, I pay particular attention to it. It occupies my time above other things, other studies, other things that I read. So devoted is a a very particular, focused attention 
on something, it tells you that this is of value to you. Does that make sense, church? That's what this means. So, if we put that, that definition into the statements, all right? So, they paid particular attention to what types of things? Well, Luke gives us a list. The first one is this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Before Jesus left this world, he told the apostles that they were to make disciples, followers of Jesus from all nations. They were to be baptized into the triune God, which was very different. Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And then they were to do something else. Do you know what they were supposed to do? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. Does that make sense? So teaching was part of the great commission or the great, uh, the great unction that the disciples or the apostles were supposed to have to teach them. What were they supposed to teach them, though? They were supposed to teach them what Jesus taught them. And what was the primary teaching of Jesus? It was all about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> it was all about the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. When Jesus started to teach the Beatitudes, blessed are you if you do these things. What was that all about? It was all about kingdom living. It was about the kingdom is near. Why? Because the king is here. The kingdom is coming. It will come. It will come through the Holy Spirit, a time that will be here, but also literally it will come. Um, if you're a millennialist, it will come when Jesus comes back again. But Jesus is teaching uh, the disciples that, hey, you have to think differently. That's repentance. You have to live differently. You have to witness differently. All those types of things that he was training his disciples um, while he was here on this earth. Not only before his death, but also after his ascension or after his resurrection, those 40 days. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He taught them about the blessings in the Beatitudes, but he also taught them about the, uh, the religious work uh, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees about saying, you know, you've heard it said, oral law, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Jesus is also getting at another place. He's saying, look, it's not just about rules. It's about the Spirit. The Spirit gives what, church? Do you know that verse? It gives life. The law brings death. The law teaches you that you're a sinner. Galatians, Paul wrote that. The, the law is a schoolmaster. It, it gives us information. And the law told us and keeps telling us that we're sinners. It tells us we cannot appease God by our own works. That's what the law taught us. It was good to help us to see who we are before Christ. But then grace came in. Love came in and through the person of Christ... And now we have another message. It's the Spirit of God within us that brings us life. So it's all those things that the apostles learned under, under the discipleship of Christ that they're now supposed to impart to all these people who didn't have that opportunity to do that. Does that make sense? So if you think about it, it's a massive task. Because how many people just got saved and now need to be taught? 
3,000 people. That's a big school, church. That's a big school. So the disciples and those who knew Jesus and sat under his teaching, now they're meeting in homes and they're meeting in the temple courts and they're trying to figure out how all this stuff fits together and that's what they're supposed to do. By the way, they would gather in two places. They would gather in the temple, in the temple courts, probably in Solomon's colonnade that overhang, um, that went around the temple court system. They would meet sort of formally because that's where Jesus would go to teach publicly so that people could wander in and hear and be influenced or drawn. But then they would also meet in homes. And they would have private conversations and Q's and A's and try to figure out how to live out this new Christian life. So they would meet publicly. They would meet privately in the, in the act of, of teaching. Second, they would devote themselves to the fellowship. Now, I'm going to give you some key words here. Forgive my grammar. Um, and the NIV does not do a good job on this. Maybe your translation does, but I'm going to point some things out. Second, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. I added a word that's not in your text. What was it? The it is in the text, it's in the original language, and we need to put it back in there because we're misled um, if we don't understand that. So I'm going to disagree with the NIV. It leaves off that little word. Little words are important. The, the larger word, fellowship, is one you already know. It's koinonia in Greek. All right, I'm no, I know that you've heard that before. It's, it's not hanging out with each other, each other's houses, watching the game. That's not what koinonia is about, at least in this instance. All right? You might be having fellowship at your house, but it's not the fellowship per se. The fellowship is the community of Christ. They were devoted to the community of Christ and understanding the nature of their connection together as followers of Christ. So this was a unity issue, church. Who belongs? Who doesn't belong? Who's coming in? Who's not quite there? How, how does this new body of Christ work? They had to figure that out, church. If you, have to, you have to remember, they're Jewish people. And on Friday nights into Saturday, they went where? They went to the synagogue. They went to the temple. They were all Jewish people. And how did they become Jewish? Birth. Unless they were proselytized. There were Gentiles who did that as well. But the religion was set. They knew what to do. They knew what to say. They knew where to go. They knew all of the rules. And now this Jesus guy shows up. And we've got this sect called the Way. This, these Christians. And now we don't know what to do with that. Does that make sense? I don't know where to go. Do I still go to temple? Do I go to synagogue? What do I do? Is there a new manual that I'm supposed to study? Do I still offer sacrifices, animals? Do I still bring my grain offerings? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Who's in and who's out? Who do I check in with? Who do I get this information? Where does my allegiance go? Is my allegiance still to the Jewish people? Is it still to the Jewish um, requirements, is that gone? Do I have to do something different now? What, how does this thing work? 
And so community is very, very important to figure out how that stuff all fits together. And that's what they were devoted to. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the community itself, and making sure that it's intact, that there was a unity involved in that. Why? Uh, They had to be. (laughs) It's a new thing. It was already being spoken against. Jesus was murdered. You have to remember that. And the religious leaders didn't leave up on that. They were coming after the disciples, and they're going to be doing that in four and five. So persecution's already starting, and they're trying to figure out how this all works together. So they were paying particular attention to the teaching of the apostles, which was the teaching of Jesus. They were paying very particular attention to the body of Christ, the fellowship. How, how is this thing forming? How is this movement happening and how is it going to be managed if you would and then the third thing if you would please and that's the uh, they were devoted to the breaking of bread Paul noted this in 1 Corinthians 10 the church gathered together for what was called the agape meal or the love meal before they took the Lord's supper so this breaking of bread could actually mean two things because they were combined. Later and very quickly, they're going to dispense with the first and just keep the second. But at this point, I think we need to put them together. They were devoted to coming together for a meal and they were devoted to practicing what? That Jesus instituted. The Lord's Supper. It was taking something very Jewish which was the Passover meal, and bringing it now into this new system, this new way of doing life, where we celebrate the Lord's death until He comes. The bread and the wine being broken. It was always after the agape meal, so it was something here. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, especially to the rich folks, hey, stop showing up at the love feast, the meal, eating all the food, getting drunk. When the working class come in, they have nothing to eat, they have nothing to drink, and then you abuse the Lord's Supper by being drunk and gluttons. Knock it off. I'm paraphrasing. All right? That's what Paul's concern was and by the way he said that it was of such a relevance that people who were abusing that abusing the fellowship abusing fellowship and abusing the Lord's Supper those individuals some individuals were actually what they're actually killed they're actually dying under the judgment of God for not paying attention to something that was supposed to be devoted I find this word interesting, and I have to look it up because I didn't have a chance to do it. There's a word in Hebrew uh, that means devoted. That's very, very, uh, it's strong. It's the word harem. It's not harem, like a gathering of girls for a king. Does that make sense? It's harem. It means something totally devoted or given over to the Lord means you can't take it back. It's God's. Isn't that interesting? So I find that word interesting as I look at this. And that is, this is really, really important stuff. That's a very, very key word as we look at this. Let me give you the next word as we 
look at this. But let me talk to you about one other thing just for clarity. In church today, there's, there's a, always an argument of how often do you take communion? The agape feast, the love feast, it dropped off very, very quickly. Why? Because so many people started to get involved. And, you know, if it's free, everybody comes. It put a huge burden on the church. So the church quickly dispensed with that. That was done before the first century was, was removed and we move into the second. So we don't even read about those types of things anymore. The Lord's Supper, though, remained. Uh, that was one of those charges given by Christ. There are some people that believe that you should take communion once a year. And only on when? Passover. Passover, 14 days prior, all right? So you should take it on Passover. There are others who believe that you should take it once a month. On the new moon, if you would. There are those who believe you should take it once a week. There are those who believe that you should take it every single day. What's right? Answer? Yes. It's whatever your church family wants to do. That's what's important. The, the important part is not when you take it. The important part is that you do take it, that you do fellowship around the Lord's table, that you do experience Christ in that very spiritual, tangible way. And so those are the things that are important. Let me take you to the next one, the fourth one. And here again, I'm going to disagree with the NIV because not only do they leave out the, the def, uh, definite article, they also they don't get the, the noun right. It's plural, actually. All right? So here's the word. The early church devoted themselves to the prayers. The prayers. What was Luke referencing here? Well, remember that the vast majority of people who came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior on the, on the day of Pentecost were of what ethnicity? They were Jews. Did they stop being Jews? No, they didn't stop being Jews. In today's language, they're called fulfilled Jews or complete Jews. Why? Because they embraced their Messiah as their Savior. So they have, they, they've received the whole package. Does that make sense? So the, the great discussion, especially in Messianic Judaism, is do we still keep the feasts? Do we still keep part of the law? Do we keep those things? It is still a big question today on whether they do that or not. And by the way, if you go back and look in Leviticus, it isn't called the Jewish feast. It's called the feasts of the Lord. We all should be remembering them. But we remember them in the context of, of Jesus. And that's what they were called to do. So they didn't dispense with their Judaism. They didn't set it, set it aside except for now they're not going to work for their salvation. They've received Jesus for their salvation. But are they still going to do the prayers? The morning prayers, mid-morning prayers, noon prayers, mid-afternoon prayers, evening prayers. Are they still going to pray? Answer? Yes, they're still going to do that. It's still part of their, their system, but they're going, to, they're going to change it over now so that they put it in the context of Jesus. So their whole faith system is going to ratchet up because God's given them this great groundwork, but now everything is focused on Christ. Everything is focused on that. It's actually what's going to draw other Jewish people in. In fact, the book of Acts says, many priests came to know the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. 
Why? Because they didn't dispel uh, a lot of the Jewishness in their culture. So um, if you study missions, for example, if you go to Africa and you reach Muslims for Christ, one of the things that the missionaries tried to do was to make them white Europeans. They're not. They're black African and they're Muslim. So what you have to do is look at their African culture and say, what in their culture can we keep that's not going to violate the scriptures? And yet, what are the, what are the things that they do that are good, but now they're going to be transformed because of what Christ has done to that system? So, for example, if you go into a, a Muslim place, what is the first thing Muslims do? You take your shoes off. If we were going to church today, none of you would have shoes on. They'd all be outside, all right? They would all be outside. No one wears their shoes inside. If you're in the habit of putting your Bible on the floor, it would never happen. Why? Because the Holy Scriptures are always above you. They're always at top, all right? And if you can get it above your heart, that's the place to put it. It's here, all right? So there's lots of things Muslims do. So when they converted to Jesus Christ, guess what were still good things to do? Take your shoes off. Respect the word of God. Do the things that are okay, that are still part of your culture. They're not so foreign to Muslims that are coming in. The same thing happened in the early church. I'm just trying to set a picture for you, church, that when, when church happened, it looked a whole lot like a Jewish synagogue. They read the scriptures. They read the Psalms. There might have been singing going on. They fellowshiped. It was a lot of the same stuff. They just moved it from here over to here and they put Jesus in the middle of it. That's what we have to be careful of, by the way, because we're not first century Christians. A whole lot of things have changed since we've um, Move 2,000 years beyond. But let me take you through the rest of the text and let me give you some things to close out with today. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They continued to be validated through divine ways and means to, to say that the message of Jesus is the right message. So we're going to see this all the way through the book of Acts as well. By the way, does God still do that? Does he still show up and do signs and wonders to validate his message today? Absolutely, he does. Sure, he does. So it's one of those things we can grab a hold of and say, does God still do that? Absolutely, he still does. Next, if you would, please. 44 to 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is not Christian communism or Christian socialism. I have a very dear friend. He was one of my young guys that I had from seventh grade all the way up through college. Uh, he studies at Toronto. Uh, he's getting his PhD in philosophy uh, with a focus on theology, Kierkegaard theology. He is a Christian communist. Lives in Canada. Enough said. That's a socialist type of a system. Um, he has different views than I do, but I love him. And we go around around on this a little bit by just by way of definitions. The church did not demand people give up their stuff. 
That's what socialism and communism does. They take your property. They take your possessions. The state has them. In other words, a few people have all the stuff. Does that make sense? Everybody else lives poor, and a few people live very, very wealthy and make your life miserable. That is not what happened in the early church. None of that happened. This was an attitude of gratitude, of generosity. It's people paying attention to people who are around them. That word devoted comes up again. They were intentional about paying attention to the people that were around them, saying, does anybody have need? Because we have more than we need and we'd be happy to give it to you. That's what this was all about. So this was generosity, um, thanksgiving at its highest at the early church. They paid attention to each other, which was a great thing. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. The main thing that I want you to see, his, see here is the community was full of joy. They were full of celebration. I got news for you. Do you think that's attractive? It is attractive. People want to be in a place where celebration is happening and where people come and are filled with joy, where they praise God. And, and by the way, it earns you favor with people who are outside. And conversely, if you don't find joy, it dispels people. It pushes people out. And we all, we all know that, all right? So it was full of joy and praises, and that's what the early church looked like. And what was the result? Well, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily, people were coming to know Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be a part of what was going on and where Jesus was the focus of that. Let me give you some things to look at today as we close, all right? First of all, devote yourself to studying the word of God. Keyword though, together. You can study your, your Bible at home. That's great. I hope every one of you have your personal devotions, but there's something about gathering together as the word of God and learning and studying that is significantly greater. I learn from you. Hopefully you learn from me. That's how that works. We share experiences with each other about how the word impacts our life and how we understand it at a deeper way. And that's why God has given to the church pastor teachers. I'm thankful that I have that gift. It's been one of the greatest blessings in my life to just understand at a deeper level what God has written and how I can apply that and how I can share that with you folks as well. Study together. Devote yourself to building up the unity of the body, understanding that we need each other. Building up the unity of body, not doing what? Don't tear it down. If you're tearing it down, you're not doing what God wants. Straight up. That's, that's what's going on. Devote yourself to building up the unity of the body. It doesn't mean you don't address issues or problems. You, you certainly want to do that. When sinners get together, there's issues. Lovingly work through them. Don't tear down, build up. How can we build? How can we unify? Because we're part of something greater. I think that's the thing that impressed me the most about Friday night and praying together about our missionaries. It was a reminder that we're so much more than St. Thomas and Burnville. That there's an entire world, a, a body of Christ that's gathering together and worshiping Jesus. And they're doing it in, in some of the most miserable places in the world. And we're part of that body. We can pray for each other and lift each other up and exhort and encourage. And that's what we're called to do. 
And um, so devote yourself to doing that. Devote to building up, to bringing unity to the body, understanding that we need each other. Those are the things that the early church did. Third, devote yourself to the sacred meal, to communion often with each other, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins and for our salvation. I think it's important um, to come back together and remind ourselves, oh, you're right, Jesus died for me. This other stuff is really trivial. Jesus died for me, and I'm going to remember that, and I'm going to be thankful for that. Um, I don't know what your position is on this, and I will leave it open-handed in the way that you observe this, but Deb and I, we have communion with each other on Sunday nights. Uh, we often do that at other times when things are pressing in on us and we need to pray. We, we pause after our evening meal and we get the Welch's grape juice out and I have some unleavened rice cake wafers that get really bad uh, down the road. <laughs> but we celebrate that and we are reminding ourselves that Christ loved us, that he died for us, and that we need to live for him, and we need to serve him. And then if there's things on our hearts, we just offer those things up to God. And we do that in our house. And we would do that every single night if we needed to. Does that make sense? So the, the sacred meal doesn't have to be on a Sunday with formality where I you know, lift the elements and sacredly pronounce things over them. I think you need to bless those things and ask God to bless them. But nowhere in the scriptures does it say the pastor has to do those things. And all God's people said with me, please. That is for everyone. It's for everyone to do. You need to do it right. You need to look at the scriptures. But if you want to do that in your home, you go ahead. Nothing, nothing harmful comes from remembering Jesus and what he's done for us. All right? Second, or next, devote yourselves to praying with each other. This is one of those community things again. I hope you're praying individually. I hope you're praying uh, to the Lord on your own. I hope you're praying with your spouse or your family. But something happens when you come together and you pray as the body of Christ. Where two or three are gathered together in the midst, church, there am I. And I think that's important. We need to pray with each other. Overall, generalization, but proved by statistics, the least attended service in the church is prayer meetings. Just saying. We need to change that, church. Be in, uh, be aware, what's the what say? Be in awe. Sorry, my eyes are blurry and I can't see. Be, be in awe at what God continues to do by way of miracles and wonders. This is a, a, an awareness point. Is God doing amazing things in, in the body of Christ? Absolutely is. We just have to pay attention to it. Be in awe of it. Celebrate it. Speak it out. Tell people what's going on. That's a witnessing issue. Next, practice being generous on all occasions. Be aware of people's needs. Be generous on all occasions. Be aware of people's needs around you. That's just being intentional. It's not showing up at church, plopping down on a pew, and as soon as the amen happens, you're out the door. It's, 
it's getting time with each other. It's going over to fellowship and having a cup of coffee. Just give it 10, 15 minutes and connect with somebody and say, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? And pray for them right then and there, by the way. Don't say it. Do it. Pray. All right? How, how are you doing? Uh, how can I help? How can I make life a little easier for you? Next, and this is my last one, is, is be what? Be joyful. And I like the way I put this. You have to do something. Choose it. You can choose to be joyful. So, so choose this day, church, to be a joyful person because that is attractive to those who do not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And what is the result of all those things? It's the same result that happened in the first century church. If you devote yourself to these things, if you put them into practice, guess what God will do? He will add to the church daily. That's a wonderful promise from God. I think we need to pray for that as we close. Can we do that together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We ask God that you'll help us to look at this first century church. It's the first century church. Lord, the church has changed. We don't meet in homes like we used to. We don't gather in some temple courts. We, we gather here in a church building, uh, often isolated from the world around us. But it's where we're at, Lord. And so we pray that you'll just give us wisdom on, on how to be devoted followers of Christ in these areas of our life. Father, I would pray that each and every one of us would sort of take a look at these things today. Maybe review Acts 2.42 especially. And just ask the question, which one of those things do I need to work on? How can I strengthen that, Lord? Because I want the church to grow. I want the church to be added to daily. I want St. Thomas to be filled until we have to start new services and where there's no place to sit. I, I desire that, Lord. So what can I do to help make that happen? Um, Father, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose praying with God's people. I'm going to choose studying God's word with each other. I am going to choose uh, unity. I'm going to choose um, all those things, Lord, that were listed before. I, I choose that this day. I'm going to make a covenant, Lord, to work on those things. I pray that your people out here would as well. Bless us, Lord, we pray, as your body, just as the first century church was blessed and prayed for each other, we pray for each other as well. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, please. Amen. Thank you, church. Be blessed. Go get some coffee, something to eat.